a little bit before we go further. We've had several questions about the building of the Sphere of Malchus Rosh Hashanah. is a time when, so to speak, God's pleasure from creation ascends, and Hashem is compared to someone who is working and not enjoying what they're doing. And by us accepting upon ourselves God's sovereignty, we renew a pleasure in Hashem for creation. And that renewal doesn't just affect um, uh, the inner dimension of creation, God's pleasure within creation. Just like when you're doing something and you enjoy what you're doing, you have more, you're more vibrant, more excited, you do it differently. So too, our acceptance of God's sovereignty deeply causes there to be a different kind of world, more of a, um, a world where there is more abundance and blessing and more a world where, where godliness is more, more revealed. So this explains um, the three questions we had about this. Question, we're wondering if, Malth, if Rosh Hashanah is about renewal of creation, why is the focus on, on Malchus specifically? Uh, why not the other spirits? We're also wondering if Rosh Hashanah is about renewal of creation, creation is done by God's speech. Speech is something which um, connects the uh, one who is speaking to the one who is speaking to. And if Rosh Hashanah is about renewal of God's energy and creation, then it would seem to be associated with, um, with God's speech. And yet the focus of Rosh Hashanah is more on God's sovereignty, which is not his, which is God's exaltedness, the higher than creation. Why is there a uh, focus on that? And also, um, why on Rosh Hashanah um, is there um, uh, the building of Malchus when it seems that Rosh Hashanah is Zehayim, it's a time of able to draw down the essence of Malchus. And the answer to all three questions is that the building of Malchus doesn't just mean to restore God's pleasure in creation, it means to draw down God's essence. Because Malchus specifically has a relationship to God's essence. And that is the intricate explanation that there goes into in section 9 and 10 in the discourse to explain why Malchus specifically has a relationship to the essence of Godliness. And one of the points um, is as follows. Um, all other spheres, all the other attributes of Godliness are connected to um, relationship and expression to the outside. Just like by a human being, um, we have a we have our thoughts, we have our feelings, and we have a we have a uh, connection to people outside of ourselves. And like Abraham Avinu, who wanted to do kindness, there's no to do kindness with. He looked for something to do kindness with. So the, there's there's a feeling, there's a strong feeling, and that feeling is motivating a connection to those on the outside. However, as we learned last time, the sovereignty, especially the way Hasidus explains sovereignty, is not something that you have in you. Rather, sovereignty is something which is called something which is so hidden as if it's non-existent. It's only because of the devotion of the people outside of yourself to you that you may dine to agree to be their monarch. Sovereignty incorporates two opposite components. On the one hand, a sovereign and the understanding of citizens, someone who is far beyond the people, and he doesn't have any connection to them, he's far beyond them. 
And he only agrees to be their monarch because they're so devoted to him. On the other hand, so on one hand, it's, he's above them. On the other hand, you can't be a king of flies and ants and, and, and animals. You, you're only a king over people. So it's because the person who is asking you to be their monarch has a relationship to you, their request that you should reign over them means something. So on the one hand, the sovereignty um, that Malthus, sovereignty denotes the exaltedness of the monarch and who is far beyond the people. And yet their request does elicit within, within him an agree, a, a desire to be their monarch. But before the request, there is no such desire. It's not like the dictatorship or in, 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 as we learned last time, people who want to be a king because they want to rule or because of, um, they want to force their opinion or they have um, this, this control need. Rather, the true idea of a monarch is that his, he has no interest and the devotion of the peoples would elicits his, his um, agreement to become their monarch. Um, let's now continue uh, in Oyes' test. I'll try to basically summarize this. Um, all the, there, there's a, there are several differences between um, sovereignty and all the other spheres. Um All other spheres, um they are in a place where the outside, the people on the outside, have a relationship to that to them, and therefore they are inspired, they're affected, and by the people outside themselves. There, there, there's something in you that's related to others. You want to do kindness, like Abraham Avinu. Uh, all other spheres, um, they're, they're they're not created by the inspiration of the outside. Rather, it's that you need to have someone to give to in order to be able to give. All other spheres are sort of like the light of the sun. It just gives light to the world. It's not giving light to the world because of the uh, world. It's giving light to the world because the sun wants the sun is shining. Doesn't matter what kind of place the sun is shining in, as long as there's a place. However, sovereignty is something which is created um, by the outside. There is no natural sovereignty, and therefore there are. It depends who is asking you to be king. So, by most people, their feeling of sovereignty will never, they never become to expression because the person. Um, A person only wants to do those things which express themselves. But sovereignty is something which is a, a created by the devotion of those who are asking to lead. So the reason why all this is true is because of the divine origin of, of Malthus, of sovereignty. All of other spheres come from Arachantin, and Malthus comes from Radla. What is Radla? Radla is called Reisha Deleyasiata, a head which is not known. In the inner dimension of God's crown, God's pleasure, there is there are three heads at that level. The highest is called Radla. Radla is an acronym for Reisha Dulayisyada or Reisha Dulayada, a head that does not know it, even itself. I, I heard once that ever described this as someone who is deep in concentration and doesn't he's so deep in concentration he doesn't even know what he's thinking about. Now, the Radla is, is something which is 
beyond any description, beyond any revelation. And that's why it finds um, a connection specifically to the lowest of all spheres, Malchus, which has no um, which has no definition. It doesn't have any virtue. Malchus is merely about ruling over others, but it's not about anything within itself. Um, so because Red Law has no form and no definition, so it's it, it, so to um, it produces Malchus, which also um, is not in a state of performance and revelation, and rather needs someone on the outside to trigger that, to, to, to arouse that. And when Malchus is finally inspired by others, what is, what is Malchus? Malchus is a desire to reign, desire to be a king, desire to be above. Because Malchus is um, in a state of exaltedness, it's, it's over the people, therefore it, it's produced by the people considering the king to be far above them, therefore what that creates in the king is this sense of, 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 of um, exaltedness and being above them. Okay. Uh, if, even if you didn't understand section 9, you will be able to understand hopefully section 10 and 11 of the discourse. Let's go. And according to this, we can explain, according to this, that a sovereignty is specifically over a people. You can't be a sovereign over your own children. There has to be someone who's separate from you. To be, to be, uh, to be a king, you have to be on one hand, someone who you, who you care about, rather than someone who is at a distance from you. Some of your exalted open, not, not your natural biological offspring. So because sovereignty is something which is connected to um, a people, not your children, we can understand how Jewish people being God's people has an advantage over the, over the Jewish people being God's children. Because it's specifically by us being God's people that causes God to be the king of the Jewish people. And although the fact that God is the king of the Jewish people is because, because of his exaltedness and his, exalt, his exaltedness, which is something which is his distance, um, but his exaltedness over the people has to do with his natural exaltedness. So there's being higher than something and there's being exalted in your very nature, like born to be a king, but not, not a king because of the specific people you're king over, but you are naturally exalted, naturally infinite, naturally beyond. So when we talk about God's exaltedness, we're not talking about his relationship to the people, but rather about God's infinity, God's transcendence. And this is the meaning of the verse, and we are your people, and the sheep of your flock. It says in the Medrash, my beloved is to me, and I am to him, the one who pastures among the roses, who will, he will be my father, and I will be his son. He will be my shepherd, and I will be his sheep. So the fact that the, the Torah says first, he will be my father, and I will be his son, and then adds, he will be my shepherd, and I will be his sheep, it's understood that his becoming my shepherd is beyond him being my father. As is known, that the idea of God being a shepherd is connected to a level of godliness which is described as being beyond the father and a brother. God does not have a a a a gam uh, ben He has no sons. He has no brothers. We're talking about, about something which is completely transcendent and infinite. And from this understood that when we talk about Jewish people being his his people, not his children, that denotes something that's beyond 
just being God's child. Because it cannot have a king without a people, it comes out, the fact that God is the king of the Jewish people is specifically because the Jewish people are his people, not his children. The exaltedness that God has, again, is because he is naturally transcendent, naturally exalted. And that's why we emphasize on Rosh Hashanah, in our prayers, the idea of building, the seed of Malchus, building God's sovereignty, because what's unique about Rosh Hashanah, and what, what makes Rosh Hashanah different than the day of creation, the day of the 25th of Elul, is because the souls of the Jewish people are bring down the essence of God's, and the source of God's sovereignty is in law is in a place which is beyond any description. Be, the source of God's sovereignty is in God's exaltedness, in God's essence, the exaltedness of Hashem Himself, beyond even Allah. So, what's unique about Rosh Hashanah is that our source, which is in the essence of Godliness, um, we are able to draw this down on Rosh Hashanah and cause there to be a revelation of God's essence. But we need to understand all the other spheres originate from Allah. And then the spheres are brought down into the level of Anich, but they all originate from Allah, and all the spheres originate from God's essence. As it says in the Torah, everything comes from you. And since Rosh Hashanah, everything returns to its initial state, so it would seem that all the spheres and all the attributes of God come from God's essence. So what's unique about Malthus if everything comes from uh, God's essence, the explanation is the difference between sovereignty and all the other spheres is in their ambition, is in their goal. The purpose of all the other spheres is in order to reveal godliness in the lowest worlds, until this physical world. That the Jewish people, the way the souls of the Jewish people, as they are in the physical body, are one with God's essence. So, for example, the sphere of Chachma is a source of wisdom. The reason we're able to understand godliness is because of God's creation of the, the attribute of wisdom. And so to all the other spheres. And that's how the Malchus is different than all their spheres. That even the way Malchus descends, it is in the same way, in the same manner as it was in its source in Radla. It stays the same. All the other spheres, all the other attributes become lights of Hashem, become revelation. Although they originate from this level, which is beyond description, they later go down to a, they go down to the level of Arif and they become some, in some kind of form, some kind of revelation. And therefore, their descent to this world and the worlds above it, Briyatsirasya, is in a way of revelation. However, Malchus, Malchus is a quintessential point. Malchus is something which does not have any, doesn't have any definition, even as it descends, even as it is in the levels beneath its initial source. Its essence and the way it, is, the way it reacts to things and the way, the way it is revealed are all in sync with its core in Radla in this level which is beyond definition. And even when it descends into the lowest of worlds, into, into this world, it still felt its source in God's essence. But although God's attribute of sovereignty is be to be a king over people, but the, his God becoming a king over people is connected to God's natural, so to speak, exaltedness. God's the fact that Hashem is a king in his essence is the way he's a king over us in this physical world. 
And that's why the emphasis in Rosh Hashanah is the building of the sphere of Malchus, not to restoring God's speech, but rather the sphere of Malchus specifically, because speech indicates something which exists and, can, and, and has division. And as definition, as Altarev explains the mimer of the mimer of Golan shows the difference between a voice and speech. However, Malchus is something does not have a definition, and the reason why there is a sovereignty over people is because of the natural exaltedness of God's essence. And this is the meaning of the verse that we that this discourse is based on. This is the day of the beginning of your works. But although God made the world on the fifth, 25th day of Elul, and Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation, so why are we calling it, the, calling it the beginning of your works? Because since the entire purpose of creation is, as the, as the Talmud says, because God desired a home in the lowest realms, He wanted a home for His essence, as is known that the idea of a home is a place that where your essence is, you feel comfortable, your whole essence can be there and comfortably. And where does God want to have a home? He wants a home in the lowest realms. He wants a home in the physical world, a world which is no world lower than this world. Therefore, Shoshana, we say that on the day of the creation of man, this is a day of the beginning of your works because this intent of God in creation is completed through the service of every single Jew. Jewish people are called man, like Adam, and they're able to specifically to achieve God's desire to make this world a home for God. That by the service of study of Torah and performance of mitzvahs, we accomplish that there should be a return to the way things were when God made the world. Before the sin of the tree of knowledge and the descent that that caused, we're able to return the world the way it was before through our study of Torah and mitzvahs. And furthermore, that there should be an even greater revelation than there was in the, in, as the, in the beginning of creation. Until this year of late, this year, the works become a home for God's essence. And this is accomplished with the Jewish people. They create, they make this world a home for God's essence. In this physical world, in the world that, that there's no world lower than this world. Even the lowest parts of this world. As we say in our prayers of Shoshana, that every creature shall know that you made, made it. And how do we accomplish this? We do this with our physical actions, our physical performance of mitzvahs, with the lowest part of our, our lowest faculty, our power of action. We perform physical mitzvahs with physical things. And we and by doing a physical action, we we project our our uh, power in something which is outside of ourselves. And something outside something in us becomes detached. Like the musician Magid was able to tell that a certain item was he could tell who made the item because and they tell the, the man who made the item was blind in one eye. How can you tell? Because when a person makes something, they divulge, they, they release a force in the item that they create. So the point we're emphasizing is, is that we're not even talking about the lowest faculty in man. We're talking about something which becomes detached from man, underscoring the lowliness of, of the activity. And yet, by doing this, by engaging with the physical world, in the lowest part of the world, we make a home, we satisfy God's desire to have a home in this lowest realm. And the reason why God desired a home in this world is something which is beyond logic and reason. As the author ever said, you cannot give an explanation for a desire. God desired. It wasn't for any ulterior motive. It was a, a desire that God wants to be with us without any, any explanation. And because this world is the, is the object in which God's desire is fulfilled, that's why it's called a, a true reality. As Reb Marash was said, in his, he had a discourse, he would say from time to time, in order to purify the world. And this discourse, he, he explained the existence of the world and everything created in the world is not an imagination, it's not an illusion, 
Rather, it's real. And he brings a proof from the Jewish law that the world is real. That although the world is constantly being created, and the world is, con- is, 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 totally, um, avid, is, is totally reliant on the divine source, uh, nevertheless, it's real. Because the true creator is the source of all creations. And since the existence of all creations because of the true creator, uh, therefore, their existence is true. As Mithra Rebbe says, that the true reality, the physical reality, is the true is is the Yesha Miti, is the essence of God. The true reality, the physical world, is the one who is really true, is the essence of God. So, in short, this is the day, the beginning of your works. Who is the one who um, satisfies the desire of God in creation? It's the human being, is a Jew. A Jew causes, brings fulfillment to the purpose of creation and making this physical world a home for God and uh, by studying tormentses. Now, that continues in this 13th section, the last section of the discourse. And this is all accomplished through a good deed of every single Jew. As the halacha says, that through one mitzvah, even if that, that's a mitzvah done in your thoughts, how much more so the mitzvah is done with your words, how much more so if it's something done, something done with your actions, through that one good deed in thought, and especially in words and actions, you tip the world to the side of merit. This is, the, a, a, this is true the whole year. How much more so is this true in Shoshanah, that you cannot say Rosh Hashanah that the world's out of balance, God forbid, because already on the day before Rosh Hashanah, already today, we are certain that we, we will be meritorious in judgment. How much more so is this true Rosh Hashanah itself? And especially after the blowing of the shofar, that every, as the Torah says, that every year, which is poor in the beginning, is rich in the end. That's what the Talmud says. Every year, which is poor in the beginning, is, becomes rich at the end. So the meaning of poor in the beginning, rich in the end, doesn't mean poor in the day, on the, uh, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and it becomes rich in the last day of the year. Rather, the Talmud explains that bef- right after the blowing of the shofar, already there's a concept of wealth, already there's a blessing of wealth. Because the shofar is an expression of, out of constraint, and out of difficulty, and out of pain. I call out to you, God. That's the meaning of the shofar. And through calling out to God with the shofar, this causes God's response. As the verse continues, God answered me with abounding relief. So by the call of the shofar, out of in a, in a place of uh, anguish, calling out to God, this causes the abounding relief. And as a, as we say in our prayer after the shofar, with the light of your face we will go, we will be written, sealed for good, in an open and clear and visible good. And all that we need, how much more so in the main thing that we need, the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days, make this happen in our situation for what we need right now, Mamash. Okay, so in short, the last section of the, of the discourse, Ebex brings it down and says to us that all that we're talking about, all these lofty things about revealing God's essence, and it's all accomplished through simply doing a good thing. And don't think that you're up against impossible odds. But rather, it's already been decided in heaven that we're going to have a good sweet year, and therefore, uh, one good deed, one good word, one good action doesn't need to tip the skill. The skill is already side inside of merit, but it makes a huge impact and uh, makes it happen. And the coming Mashiach today, and celebrate today in Yerushalayim, and be Rosh Hashanah in Yerushalayim.